Hello and welcome back to Husker Sports Weekly, your soon-to-be number one source for all things Husker sports. And today, the football and basketball coverage carries on as Scott Frost and his squad looks to snap their skid against the struggling Boilermakers of Purdue this Saturday in West Lafayette. And we will also talk about Nebraska's narrow win against South Dakota, South Dakota and the impressive performances we have seen from community college transfer Teddy Allen, as well as some other players on the team. But before we get into that, you should know who you're listening to. My name is Connor Clark, along with my co-host Grant Hansen, as always. And don't forget to find us on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar and follow us on Twitter at Husker Weekly for Big Ten updates as well as Husker Sports news. So we will jump into this episode starting off with football as you know Nebraska is coming off of two straight losses the one and four Huskers will travel to the two and three Purdue Boilermakers something I did not expect to see next to Purdue's name I thought they'd be a little bit better they have dropped three in a row um, in their last three games but some quick facts about this matchup Nebraska has lost the last two matchups in 2018 losing 42 to 28 in Memorial Stadium and in 2019 losing 31 to 27 on the road at Ross Aid Stadium in Purdue uh, Purdue's on a three-game losing streak as we mentioned those losses have come to Northwestern Minnesota and Rutgers uh, Nebraska's on a two-game losing streak of their own against Illinois and Iowa this, these past two weeks uh, looks like Martinez has been plugged in at starting quarterback once again this year, and Purdue has had a lot of defensive struggles, giving up just over 32 points per game in their last three losses. So Purdue's a two-point favorite in this matchup this weekend. I'm expecting to see a pretty close one. I think this will be kind of a, a tight game between two subpar teams, um, but I mean, Purdue's lost three straight. Nebraska's lost two straight. Both teams are desperate for a win. Um, and I think the spread is accurate. And I think this should be a pretty good game here uh, in Purdue uh, coming up this Saturday. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't expect a lot of defense, right? Uh, over under is 62 right now for this game, which is the highest in the Big Ten this week besides Ohio State, Michigan State. That's 59 and a half there. Uh, Purdue's given two points. You know, that's the traditional field goal given to home teams. Uh, so if it weren't there, I think Nebraska would actually be favored based upon this line. Uh, man, like, you know, it's interesting. This game was supposed to be the first of the year uh, in the original of the trilogy of schedules we got this year. We were supposed to see Bob Diaco's return to Lincoln as the defensive coordinator now for Purdue, a guy who the ladies certainly swooned over here and fainted. Uh, but uh, opposing offenses, not so much uh, against his defenses. And so... Uh, his defenses are looking just about like they did here, pretty bad and giving up yards left and right. And, uh, it, you know, it didn't start out that way for them. You know, they started the year with wins over Iowa and Illinois, two teams that have struggled offensively this year. And Nebraska's defense, I think I can actually say at this point, has looked fairly solid uh, throughout all of 2020 with the exception of that uh, Illinois game. That's really the only time they've had a very major slip-up. Of course, you can look at Ohio State uh, and think about that game. Uh, but obviously, Ohio State is not really comparable to anybody else in the conference. So high scoring, I think I expect that. Uh, can Nebraska's offense keep up? And maybe, I mean, if if Nebraska defensively can, can control David Bell and Rondale Moore, then we should be in a pretty good position. The problem is the teams that Nebraska's had a lot of success against defensively this year have often be, been very run-heavy teams. Again, exception of that uh, Illinois ball game. 
Uh, and, and this will be very different for Purdue. You're going to be looking at pass heavy. You're going to be looking at a lot of David Bell and a lot of Rondale Moore uh, at the receiver position. Yeah, it'll be an interesting game to see here. And I'll, I'll agree with you on the defensive statement. I think overall the Nebraska defense has looked fairly solid. Um, I mean, dismissing that Illinois loss, and you could probably dismiss the Ohio State game as well, but that was probably going to be a given that we were going to give up a lot of points in that game playing a, a Heisman candidate quarterback in Justin Fields. But, I mean, I like the way the defense looked last week. Uh, they were able to hold their own um, in a couple of big spots. I mean, they held Iowa to a field goal on that first possession, which was big, um, not going down 7-0. And they, and their red zone defense has been fairly good throughout the year as well. So I do like that. I like that we held Iowa to only 26. The defense gave our offense a chance to win the ball game uh, a couple of times. Um, and the offense was just unable to get it done. But I think if the defense shows up this weekend, that'll be a – very good omen for Scott Frost and his program this weekend, and hopefully they can improve to two and four um, against Purdue and avoid that third straight loss to the Boilermakers because Purdue has had Nebraska's number these past couple of seasons. Purdue really kind of smacked Nebraska in the face in Frost's first year in 2018, and then last year Nebraska kind of beat themselves against Purdue. Purdue was able to go on a game-winning drive with Aiden O'Connell, who was their third stringer at the time. Um, but I mean, Nebraska definitely has the capability to win this game. Um, if Martinez can throw the ball well, and they kind of use that two quarterback system like they did last week effectively, I thought it worked. Um, I like the way that they use both QBs last week with McCaffrey usually doing the running and Martinez throwing the ball. He made a bunch of good throws. He had a 90% completion percentage last week. Um, so I think if, if Martinez has a solid game, all he has to do is have a solid game. Um, I think Nebraska can win this game. Um, and I think uh, <laughs> there will be a happy Saturday in Lincoln for the first time in, in a couple of weekends. So, I mean, Purdue, they're in a spot which I really didn't think they'd be in after their first two games. They looked pretty solid after their first two games. I figured they'd lose to Northwestern, but I think they would beat Minnesota and Rutgers. But apparently, that's not the case. So here we are with the 2-3 and three Purdue team. Um, I'm certainly not going to count them out. I mean, they're favored for a reason, but I think Nebraska – can win this game, and I think they, they will. Yeah, I'd like to think Nebraska probably should be the favorite here uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I think you should really look at this as Nebraska's game to lose. Uh, and I think that's kind of been the deciding factor, right? A lot of, in the lot, you mentioned, of course, the 2018 loss, that's a little bit more spread out, but there are a lot of drives there in Adrian's freshman year that were uh, marred by penalties and Nebraska shooting itself in the foot with seemingly unlimited ammo. Uh, as they so often tend to do. And that was even more true back in 2019, right? Uh, and still, even then in 2019, you were still in a position to win the game late. You still had that drive to win the game late. You came up short. And that's kind of really, in a lot of ways, I think been another kind of hallmark of this time in the last few years is you've been in, there's been several games, 11 of them, to be exact, that have been one-possession games that you've been in on the last second. You've had a chance to drive, come back, and win or play on the defensive side, of course, a couple of times against Iowa, uh, and you just weren't able to get it done. And, and I, I, it would not shock me if we were in the same situation here uh, against Purdue. Another 11 a.m. kickoff, so I you know, should be pretty used to those by now. Every game this year has been 11 a.m., uh, and I believe... <laughs> Uh, don't uh, check me if I'm wrong here. I'm pretty sure we had the exact same broadcast crew for the fourth week in a row. 
uh, <laughs> on Saturday. I mean, they must really like uh, watching some big red football, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, well, what are the odds for that? But so, yeah, an- another 11 a.m. kickoff, so there's really no excuses for being um, kind of not used to that early kick. Um, you will be in Eastern time zone, so technically it'll be noon um, at Purdue. Um, but, I mean, Nebraska, as you said, I, I like the way you put it, that this should be Nebraska's game to lose. And if Frost wants to have any sort of confidence going forward, I think this is a must-win game, obviously. I mean, just the fact that you've gotten blown out by Illinois, you have struggled in countless ways against teams that are better than you, but you had a chance to win. I mean, last week, the muffed punt, that was bad. Um, the bad snaps from Jurgens, as we talked about in our rapid reactions episodes. Um, and you know, just the lack of offensive line at times that isn't giving Adrian enough time to throw. I mean, and I mean the given penalties, it's just, you, you, you got to clean up like one of those things. Like even like you could possibly even win this Purdue game with all of that happening. But if you get rid of one of those things, I think your chances go through the roof. I think Nebraska's given like a 43% chance to win this game this weekend, um, which, I mean, is probably accurate when it comes to looking at the rest of their schedule. I mean, but if you win this game against Purdue, then you have a very struggling Minnesota team that that game could very well be canceled with all their issues with COVID. But you beat Purdue and then you beat Minnesota and you salvage three and four out of this year, I would... I would consider that a positive. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, would, I agree with you. And I, and I think if you're the Huskers, you have to really look at this game as your last one. Uh, because, you know, you look at that Minnesota game, that's heavily in doubt. Of course, to even get a game that next week, you would need somebody to cancel. And currently the Big Ten has two teams who are capable of playing in Northwestern and Maryland this week, and it would be a rematch. And both teams have elected not to do that matchup, right? So even if you do get the two teams out, there's no guarantee you're going to get a game. Uh, and then you even think about the last week of the year uh, in which there is no neutral site. You don't know if it's at a home game or a road game for that Champions Week. You don't know who you're playing or what time it is and if that per- that team you're supposed to be matched up against has COVID right now or what that looks like. Uh, and, and so that creates a lot of issues where you even wonder how many teams actually are going to be interested or invested in playing in that Champions Week game. It sounded really cool at the beginning, but especially right now, for a lot of the teams that have really kind of had the daylights beat out of them this year or are struggling with COVID, it's it's hard to to think that or feel very confident even in that happening uh, at this point, right? So and I think that's how they've approached every game. Hopefully they've approached most of the games this year is that, hey, this one could be the last one. Uh, but I think it's especially true against Purdue on Saturday. Yeah, and I mean, if, this, if the Minnesota game were to be canceled, that would leave us at – two and four on the year and as you said I mean that Champions Week is really up in the air right now because we don't know who we're gonna play as you said we don't know if that team has COVID right now or if they're having issues with COVID and that could carry on through that Champions Week which is in two weeks from this Saturday and I mean there's just a lot of a lot of things that are up in the air a lot of questions and it'll be interesting to see how well the Big Ten looks after this I mean they could either look like complete geniuses for implementing the Champions Week, or it could crash and burn terribly. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But 
if Nebraska can get a win this weekend, um, cancellation or not with Minnesota, at least you're ending the season on a positive note and you can carry that forward with you. Um, and if you get a game against Minnesota and you beat them, I mean, that's even more positives rolling into Champions Week, which can only be good for this program. So Right, and, and you look Purdue, at the biggest thing, I think, really coming out of the news today is the Mackenzie Milton from UCF entering the transfer, transfer portal. I didn't right. even know he was still in college football until today. Uh, Me course, neither. <laughs> suffering that huge, huge leg injury. I guess that was two years ago. I mean, how much time flies, I suppose. But he he's in the transfer portal, and man, like, I think it's a lot easier of a sell at three and four with several games canceled or two and four with several games canceled than one and five, one and six uh, to get him to come here. And again, like I, I, a lot of people asking their take on that today. I mean, in my book, I figure try it. Why not? We'll see what happens. If he wants to come here, he'll come here, you know? Um, but I think it's going to be a lot, it'd be a lot easier sell for the Huskers with a win uh, on these last two games of the schedule uh, than, than if you're losing. So you're kind of playing, that's something you're almost playing for as well as the recruitment pitch for Mackenzie Milton. Yeah, Mackenzie Milton, he's been a guy who's been in the Scott Frost system before at UCF and had great amounts of success in that system. So he knows how to play in there. I think, and I, I would agree with you. I mean, might as well just go for it. I mean, see what happens. Frost and Milton already have that relationship built. But the only negative that can come out of that is odds are if Milton transfers in here, and I don't know how many years he has left. I would assume he's a grad transfer. But, um, I mean, odds are if he comes in, I I bet somebody goes out. No, and I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, and so it depends on how really you want to play that, right? Because you're only going to get Milton for a year. But he could really provide, I think, a lot uh, in terms of knowledge of the system especially to those quarterbacks, whether it's Adrian or Luke who stays, or maybe they both stay, who knows. Uh, but whoever takes over after Milton leaves, let's say he does come in here, uh, he would have a whole year with somebody who knows Frost very well, who's obviously very mature, uh, much older than either of them, and has spent more time in the system than either of them. So I think, you know, regardless of if you lose somebody, uh, the amount of influence that that Milton would be able to provide I think would be a positive uh, in the long run yeah and you really have to ask you if you're Scott Frost and you're the rest of the coaching staff you have to ask yourself this question is one year with Mackenzie Milton really going to be worth it when you're trying to either a solidify Martinez's position as a starting quarterback in the Big Ten or you're trying to get Luke as many reps as possible for his future with this program as well so I, I do like what you said about his his knowledge of the system, and he's obviously older than both of them, and he's had more experience. And he's had, I think the most important thing that Mackenzie Milton has had with Scott Frost is big games. He's been in big games with Scott Frost. He's played Auburn with Scott Frost. He's been in a conference championship game with Scott Frost. So he knows how to handle those moments. And obviously the American championship game isn't isn't as big as the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis, but you're still you're playing for that conference championship. And no matter what the setting is, the mentality is still there. You're playing for a conference championship. And then you go play Auburn in one of the nicest stadiums in the National Football League. So, I mean, that's a big stage. So And you beat them. So he knows how to handle those big moments as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of pros to this situation. There are, I, I would say the pros heavily outweigh the cons in this situation, but... Um, I mean, I guess that's the one question that Scott Frost 
has to ask himself, is one year with Milton again going to really be that worth it? Right, and, and I think you're almost, in a sense, choosing between one year with Milton or one year left with Adrian, right? Uh, granted, obviously, you have that year of eligibility that you're going to be able to maintain really across all players uh, this winter, and that's well and good, but some of these guys aren't going to play football in the NFL. They want to just move on and start the next phase of their lives. And so, you know, likely, I think I think there are more guys, likely than not, who are going to be in that phase of, yeah, I, I need to move on. I need to start, you know building my career outside of football and family and, and, and that side of life. And so I think there's a higher chance that Adrian comes down in that set. I think there's a higher chance that almost all the seniors this year and the juniors come down in that set than those who want to stay an extra year. Uh, and so, I, and again, like to a certain extent, then you're kind of choosing between a year with Milton who could maybe develop McCaffrey or a year with Martinez and having him having a good swan song uh, senior year. Yeah, I mean, it's up in the air right now. It's kind of a new storyline that is happening right now. So there's no really huge developments on Nebraska coming after him yet. These are just all kind of hypothetical things. But, I mean, it could have very well turn into a reality uh, just because of that Mackenzie Milton and Scott Frost uh, relationship. So that's kind of our little preview on Nebraska-Purdue this week. I mean, you heard it in both of our analysis uh, we're picking Nebraska this week to win this game. Um, it'll be a close one, but hopefully Nebraska can finally end that w- losing streak, which has felt like it's <laughs> it's been a span of like four or five weeks since they won a game but um, since, because they played Iowa the last Friday. But um, hopefully the Huskers can pick up a win this weekend. And speaking of this weekend, we got a handful of Big Ten games to get through here on the podcast as well. A couple of cancellations, which is a little disappointing. The two cancellations are number 14 Northwestern at Minnesota, because Minnesota is still dealing with their COVID problems, and Maryland at Michigan. So we will start this week with number four Ohio State at Michigan State. Uh, This game is a 24-point spread in favor of the Buckeyes of Ohio State looking to go to 5-0. and They're still number four in the college football playoff rankings, which has sparked a lot of controversy um, considering they've only played half the amount of games as a lot of, uh, a lot of people, I mean, think. I mean, they, they, they're very in favor of Cincinnati being in that spot or Florida or Texas A&M because they played a lot more games and stuff. And, I mean, I... I agree with the college football rankings for now but i think ohio state is going to have to crush michigan state this weekend and um if they cover i think they'll be in good hands but i think ohio state's going to win this game um pretty handily michigan state's coming off a good win against northwestern last weekend but um northwestern struggled immensely on offense in that game so i'm going to go with the buckeyes here and uh they'll they'll win by three or four scores in this game yeah, I agree. Ohio State should definitely cover the spread here. Michigan State, they've had a couple of good wins this year. It's a weird team under Mel Tucker for this first uh, first year. He's proven, though, to get some encouraging wins, of some signs of improvement for them. And I just, But I just don't think it's going to be enough here. Again, one thing to watch, Ohio State going to be without Ryan Day on the sidelines. Didn't really uh, affect Alabama too much last week when they didn't have Nick Saban. We'll see what it does for the Buckeyes. Obviously, Nick Saban... A little bit more established than Ryan Day, who's been there for two years now at Ohio State. So we'll see if that makes much of a difference. I highly doubt, though, 
that it does. So I'll, I'll go with the Buckeyes here. I do think they will cover the 24-point spread. All right, moving on to the next 11 a.m. game. Uh, Penn State, they they won. They won a game. It's amazing. I can't believe I was about to pick them last week, too, and I switched it up. Um, but so Michigan stabbing both of us in the back. I Stupid feel your pain. Gosh. <laughs> Penn State, one in five, will go to the two and four Rutgers Scarlet Knights. There's no spread on this game. Rutgers coming off against that 37 to 30 win at Purdue last week. This game, um, I mean, it, it, it'll probably be an ugly one. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to go Penn State here. I think Penn State's going to win another game here. Uh, I mean, Rutgers is coming off of a win, but. I mean, Penn State, they finally they finally felt what it's like to win a football game this year against a very not good Michigan team, but a win's a win at this point. Um, so I'm going to go Penn State here. I think they'll win their second in a row against Rutgers. Um, I think James Franklin is just going to finally kind of find his groove with this team and win a couple of games here in, in the late weeks of the 2020 season. Uh, I'm going to go with Rutgers, partially because I have to. Uh, in order to make up picks on you, but also partially because I do actually believe in them to win this game. Uh, Penn State has just been brutal this year. I really don't understand what happened to them. Uh, they started out with a tough loss to Indiana, uh, and then you look at the game against Ohio State, probably the most embarrassing win, really, for Ohio State out of the four is how how much Penn State actually pushed them in that game. Uh, but since then, man, they've totally fallen apart. I, I turning the ball over left and right. It's a, uh, I just it's one of the most mystifying falls from grace I think I've seen in college football in a very long time. And it's not something I could really just say, oh yeah, it's COVID. It's a weird year. It's a COVID year. That's COVID's fault. Uh, it, it's much more than that. I think at this point. So I'm gonna go with Rutgers. I'm gonna go with the Scarlet Knights, and it's gonna be a weird, weird, weird game in the rain in Piscataway. And that doesn't, that's not really something that I think favors Penn State and their ball security issues. So uh, we'll go with the Scarlet Knights here. Yeah, that should be a good one. I mean, as you mentioned, I, I agree with you. I think it's more than a COVID thing with Penn State. Um, they've had a lot of struggles at the quarterback position specifically as well. Um, but moving on down the list, we got a pretty good here uh, matchup here, a ranked matchup, number 12, Indiana, at number 16, Wisconsin. Wisconsin opens this game at as two touchdown favorites at home against the number 12 Hoosiers. Um, the line is 45 points. I kind of disagree with the spread here. I think Wisconsin's favored by a little bit too much. I know Indiana just lost Michael Penix Jr. for the year with the ACL tear. Um, but then again, Wisconsin keeps getting those cancellations. So I don't know. This game's really a toss-up here. Um, I mean, Graham Mertz is starting to look more like a like a human um, especially after that Northwestern game. I know Wisconsin had a lot of wide receiver injuries in that game. Um, but I don't know, man. This, this is a toss-up game. Um, and just because of the amount of games that have been played between these two teams, I'm going to go with Indiana. I think they'll get it done. They're 5-1. and one. I know they're missing their quarterback. I'm just going to – I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to pick the Hoosiers to win on the road. You know, uh, my heart – well, I think I'm going to probably go with Indiana as well, actually. I, I, it's a hard game to pick, as you, you've you really highlighted pretty well. You know, Graham Mertz has been, other than his game against Illinois, but very pedestrian. Uh, I don't even think that his wide receiver injuries make much of a difference. I, I know there's a lot of Wisconsin fans who think that's true. 
but I just looking at him during that Northwestern game, just a lot of bad decisions. And I think that's maybe that's characteristic of a freshman. I might be being a little bit too hard on him for that. But I think both teams are going to have to rely on the run a lot. And at some point, I think Mertz is going to have to throw it. I, I just don't trust him to get it done. 14 points is a lot of points. I'm very confused by this line as well. And, like, I just uh, – I'm back and forth. It's a total toss-up for me. Uh, but I'm going to go with Indiana uh, and not fall another game behind you because <laughs> Lord knows if I played pick Wisconsin, Indiana would win. And the final game of the Big Ten schedule this weekend, number 19, Iowa, after four straight wins, plays at the Illinois Fighting Illini. This spread is Iowa minus 13 and a half, so this is less than the Wisconsin-Indiana one. Um, I know it's only by half a point, but still, I mean, come on now. Um, I'm going to go with Iowa here. I think that's the pretty kind of obvious choice here. Um, I was, they've been playing good football. They did struggle a little bit against Nebraska last week, but Nebraska's defense got to give them credit. They kept that kind of, we, we can call it par Iowa offense uh, in check last week, but I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes here. They will win their fifth in a row and move up in the college football rankings. Yeah, I got to go with Iowa as well. Louisiana did lose that game last week, and I think that's going to hurt them a little bit. Uh, they've had some troubles in terms of getting some games played this year, I believe that was their second cancellation as well. Uh, and so I, you know, I just, you can't pick Indiana. There's no way, you, or Illinois, I'm sorry. You can't pick them. <laughs> uh, I was going to be too good <laughs> with the football. They're going to be too disciplined. And Illinois hasn't played in the week. So we'll go with Iowa here to, to win. And I, I think they'll cover as well. All right, now let's move on to uh, our one game outside of conference, and I'm probably going to steal the pick that you were going to do here too, but it honestly, if we have the same pick here, might as well just pick the same game. But um, this is the matchup really everybody wanted to see this weekend. Number 13, BYU at number 18, Coastal Carolina. This spread is BYU by 10. Um, and I mean, BYU's 9-0, Coastal Carolina's 9-0. A lot of people feel like BYU got disrespected, including myself, in the first college football playoff rankings, dropping from, I believe, 8 to 14 or 9 to 14, one of those two. Um, and they're playing a really good co- – like, this Coastal Carolina team is very good, and it doesn't matter if they're in the Sun Belt. I mean, th- this will be a great game. I think um, the spread will – I think – BYU will not cover the spread, um, but with that being said, I think BYU will win this game, um, but it will be like by a field goal or less than a touchdown, but this will be a phenomenal game at 4.30 this Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I'm very excited for that game. I will not be picking that one, and that wasn't the game I was going to pick, actually. Wow. Shock the world. Really? This is the game that everybody wanted to see this week. Friday night at 7.30. This one's on ESPN. The Ragin' Cajuns, my real favorite football team, <laughs> take on the Appalachian yes. State Mountaineers. 8-1 and one versus 7-2. and two. Really the second and third place uh, teams in this conference. The only loss on the year for the Ragin' Ca- Cajuns coming at the hand of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, 30-27. to 27, And Chanticleers beat Appalachian State as well, but by about 10 points. Hopefully, uh, the Raging Cages are not looking ahead uh, this week to what will be a rematch against Coastal Carolina 
in the Sun Belt Championship game next week at 11 o'clock. That one should also be a fantastic game. Uh, but I think the Raging Cajuns will win this one on Friday night to move to 9-1 and on the year, give the Mountaineers their third loss in a game that I also think should be pretty dang entertaining. Uh, and so for one last time, one last time for 2020, give me the Raging Cajuns. You got to go back to the Raging Cajuns. That, that was our team before Nebraska started playing on the record. <laughs> they went 3-1 and one with us as priority fans, so we'll take it. And that Coastal um, Carolina loss, that looked like a bad loss at the time. Now it looks fantastic. But it's, it's, it's a great loss. Um, and just kind of for reference, everybody, our, our records going into this week, Grant is 18-18 and 18, sitting right at 500. I am 22-13, and 13, so a little bit of ground to make up, but... Nothing, nothing too out of reach there. We do love uh, with a couple weeks left in the season. Yes, the Sun Belt. I mean, put them in the Power Five. Make them a Power Five conference at this point. <laughs> they're, they're they're the next American. <laughs> so um, we will transition here from football to basketball. Um, we are entering. I guess today marks week two of the college basketball season, and we've had a lot of good games, like, oh. just overall so far. Like, last night was phenomenal with West Virginia and Gonzaga, Baylor and Illinois. Um, we had Kansas and Kentucky the night before, um, and then we had Duke, Michigan State. I mean, there, there's been a lot of good matchups here early on in this college basketball season. We had a great game yesterday with Texas and North Carolina in the Maui Championship. I mean, college basketball is not disappointed this year um, in this first week. Um, but we're here to talk about Nebraska ball for a little bit here. Uh, they, they've not had a matchup like, like Duke-Michigan State just yet, um, but they will on December 11th. Um, but we're here to talk about some standouts through four games in one week of the season. Nebraska currently sits at 3-1. and one. Uh, they have wins against McNeese State, North Dakota State, and South Dakota, and their only loss coming to Nevada by three points after shooting 9 of 41 from beyond the arc in that game. Um, and the kind of stat leaders for uh, Fred Hoiberg's crew this year, Teddy Allen with 19 points a game, 5.8 rebounds, and 3.5 steals, which he ranked eighth nationally for steals um, just a couple of days ago. Delano Banton averaging 13.5 points, 6.8 rebounds, and 5.8 assists, which in my opinion is probably the most valuable stat line on this team. Yep. And Trey McGowan's averaging 11.5 points, 4 rebounds, and 1.5 assists. So through one week and four games, Grant, how do you feel about where Nebraska basketball sits at this moment in time. You know, I, I feel better than I really thought I was going to feel. You know, you look at that Nevada game, and obviously you, you shot 9 of 41 from three-point land. Nevada currently 3-1 uh, and one on the year. Their only loss is to San Francisco, who they're going to play again, I believe, in three days, 85-60. to 60. Uh, And in that game, you you look at that and say, dang, San Francisco blows out Nevada. That doesn't look like a good, good thing for the Huskers. But San Francisco has played really good basketball this year. They've taken out uh, Virginia by one point. That is another one of their wins. Uh, and, and, again, you look at that game uh, against Nevada. And remember, Nebraska hitting nine threes total in the game. Uh, San Francisco hits 15 and wins it by 25 points. I think there's your difference right there between Nebraska being on top of the Big Ten in terms of your non-conference schedule at 4-0 right now uh, and where they are now at 3-1. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think as you look at the team, you know, yesterday or Tuesday night, uh, kind of fluky. It's just kind of a weird game. And I think those are kind of bound to happen when you just put a random group of guys together again. Uh, I, 
I think my two biggest concerning things are your your play at, at the five spot and your big men and how well you could defend down there. Uh, you know, you're not, you don't open your Big Ten conference schedule until the 21st, and so you're not really going to know what your competition against big men like the Big Ten has is going to be like. Maybe you'll get a good feel of it uh, against Creighton on Friday the 11th. Uh, but I think the probably the bigger concerning factor to me is inconsistency on offense that we find sometimes. feels like a lot of times, especially in that South Dakota game the other night, we are just going through the motions, and uh, we're winding the shot clock down to about 10 seconds, and we'll either give it to Teddy Allen or McGowan's and just say, all right, go do something. And I just don't feel like that's really good ball offensively. Might have been just a bit of recency bias with the South Dakota game, uh, but I, I think the ball movement uh, needs to improve a little bit. And I th- and again, I, I, the half-court offense has proven through four games not to be the strength of this team. The strength of the team is forcing turnovers and getting out in transition and turning defense into offense. And I don't think that's just going to suddenly change as we go throughout the year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I wasn't able to watch a ton of the South Dakota game uh, this past week, this past Tuesday, I believe it was. But I mean, I mean, you're going to have those games in the non-conference schedule where you're playing a team that you should beat by probably 20 and Nebraska probably should have beat South Dakota by 20, but they ended up beating them by seven. And you're going to have some of those games, I mean, where it's just kind of like, okay, it's a eight o'clock on a Tuesday we're playing South Dakota in an empty stadium I mean like it's it's gonna be like that sometimes and it's up to the team to kind of really in inject their own energy into their teammates and just kind of get the energy going early in that game because Fred Hoiberg has talked about how pleased he is with his team's fast starts um and his first handful of games this year and I mean when when you're playing in a huge cavern I mean Pinnacle Bank is not small for a college venue at all so when you're playing at a big cavernous arena with nobody in it uh, on a Tuesday night against South Dakota, you're going to have a game like that, and which is fine. But obviously we do need to see improvement coming up because, as you said, we play Creighton um, this upcoming Friday, or not this upcoming, a week from when this episode is released um, on December 11th. Um, and they have a, in what my opinion, is a pretty big test next Wednesday against Georgia Tech in the Big East or Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, so if you get a if you get a, a good win against Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech is a team that has struggled this year so far, so if you can get a solid win against that program going into the Creighton game, I mean you're going in with a lot of confidence, um, and Nebraska would be um, five and one going into that Creighton game if they were able to win these next two, which I mean they should beat Florida A and M, which is their next contest, and that if you get a solid win against Georgia Tech. And that sets you up for a lot of confidence going into a a in-state rivalry against a really good team on your home floor, by the way. Uh, and I, I know there's no fans. That's that crazy. It is? Yes. I think it should oh, be. Oh, well, then I am mistaken. Because yeah. let, uh, when I checked at the beginning of the season, I think they must have changed it or something. But, um, I mean, you're setting yourself up for success going in 5-1 and one in, into that Creighton game. And I know Creighton's ninth in the country. And a win over Georgia Tech isn't going to solve all your problems. But, I mean, any win that you can get before going into uh, Big East play, or Big Ten play, I don't know why I keep saying Big East, I apologize. But, um, I mean, all, all the wins you can put in that win column before Big Ten play is very important. No, I, I would argue the Georgia Tech game is a must-win uh, in a lot of ways. They're 0-2 right now. They've lost to Georgia State in that wild 123-120 to game. 
And then they lost to Mercer most recently by 10. And Mercer, of course, remember upsetting Duke in the tournament a few years ago. Uh, and now they're going to play on the 6th and a few days against Kentucky at number 20 in the country. And so very, very easily Georgia Tech can be coming into this game at 0-3. And so you can, I, in my book, you cannot drop this game. Like, it, it is an absolute must-win for the Huskers. And to put some things in perspective, you talked about how time-shifting can kind of cause some troubles for teams. And, of course, we tip off that game Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. You look at the other tip-off times for uh, the remainder of our known schedule. Of course, Wisconsin's game is currently uh, TBD on the 21st. But there's not a later tip-off start than at 6.15. Uh, and so that's I, I think that probably will help a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, you, you, you have to win that Georgia Tech game in my book in order to have the season you you would like to have, which, right, it's at or below 500, maybe an NIT appearance because of, you know, how brutally tough the Big Ten is. Right, and I think if you're if they're going to play Georgia Tech at 8 o'clock, um, I mean, I think the enthusiasm will be different. Okay, so they play at 7.15 on Wednesday, but I think the enthusiasm will be different within the team for Nebraska because they're not playing South Dakota. They're playing a team from a, a Power 5 conference or I guess a Power 6 conference when it comes to college basketball and a pretty good one in the ACC. Um, and it really doesn't matter what the record is. I mean, yes, they could very well be going into this game at 0-3. I think they will be because Kentucky is they, – they just lost a close one to Kansas. Um, I mean, and Richmond is ranked ahead of them now um, after that loss. So um, I think – Despite the Georgia Tech record, despite their previous uh, results in their schedule, you're playing a Power 5 opponent in the non-conference. And if you can get that win, I mean, that's... And I, I would agree with you after what you just stated, that this is going to be a must-win game for this program because you cannot afford to drop a game to an 0-3 Georgia Tech team that let Georgia State put up 123 on them. So, And I, granted, that game was in four overtimes, but still. And so... If you get that win, you go into the Creighton game, you'll probably lose that Creighton game. But, I mean, you go into the Big Ten play 5-2. and two, I mean, not picture perfect, but you're somewhere, and it's a solid start. And, I mean, to get into the NIT, you probably need to win anywhere between 16-17 games. So you're already kind of a quarter of a way there with those five wins. So um, there, are, there are winnable games within this Big Ten conference, Um there are obviously a lot of very tough games to be able to win in this Big Ten conference as well. Um, but again, you you set yourself up for success going to the Big Ten five and two, and barring a miracle, six and one. Right, and well, and you look at, at the rest of the you know the schedule for the rest of the year. If you win every game against the unranked currently unranked Big Ten members, you'd find yourself at thirteen and fifteen. Right, so you just got to pick off one game against somebody who's currently ranked. Uh, throughout the year and you play some of those teams twice and you you know obviously it's kind of an overused analogy in sports to talk about how hard it is to beat a team twice and that comes true for some of the unranked teams that you're going to be playing twice as well but they're going to need to pick off one or two wins against some of these ranked opponents that still remain uh, in the Big Ten currently with six there as of now and of course that will evolve and change as the season goes on. Right, and I'm going to point out a team that was previously ranked, but is not ranked anymore, but Michigan, I feel like Nebraska could definitely pick off a win against them on Christmas Day. I mean, we saw them go into overtime with Oakland, um, a team that 
has not been good this year at all. I mean, they lost to Xavier 101-49 to in their season opener. Um, so that's a team that Nebraska possibly steal a win from. I could see Nebraska possibly stealing a win from Purdue. Um, Minnesota is, is also another one that they could probably swipe one from. Um, maybe Penn State. They just beat VCU on a buzzer beater, which was a fantastic game. And credit to VCU, too. They're a good program. Um, but as you said, yeah, we're going to have to steal wins from ranked programs. Like, And you don't even have to think about Illinois or Wisconsin or Michigan State or like any of those top 10 teams. But like, go after Rutgers. Like, if you can steal a game against Rutgers, that's huge. Or if you can steal against uh, a game against Ohio State, that's huge. They're ranked in the high 20s. So if you're able to steal, ga- uh, steal games against that and make it close against these highly ranked teams, the like the Illinois and the Iowas and the Michigan States, that's going to help you a lot because it's all about it's, – it's more – it's starting to turn into more of a strength of schedule thing too, rather than just, Oh, look at your record and move on. Like if, if the say I'll, I'll put the, I don't even know if this is a thing, but the NIT committee, um, if they could, if it's at the end of the season, you, they look at Nebraska's record and they say, Oh, well they lost to Michigan state by four on the road. And they had a chance against Illinois at the end, or say they, they stole one against Wisconsin or something like just hypothetically. That's going to be huge. And if you can win, I mean, if they win 16, 17 games this year, which is going to be really hard to do, but if they end up doing that, I mean, I will be more than pleased with this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you just, you got to hit 500. If you if you can hit 500, that'll be an absolute 10 out of 10 five-star performance from Coach Hoiberg and this team, uh, especially with the recruiting class that you're bringing in next year, which is, I believe, broke the top 25 and is either third or fourth in the Big Ten. Uh, so, again, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how we could compete against some of these opponents. And, and we really won't know how well this team could compete against those opponents uh, until we get into the thick of that Big Ten schedule, which is going to be here sooner rather than later. And another thing I want to point out that I'm glad that you brought up the next year's recruiting class as well, but the NCAA is allowing seniors in basketball to come back next year, kind of like how they did in football. So say the seniors for Nebraska this year, which I know there's not very many, and Thor might be the only one, um, but say like say everybody comes back or like 80% of the roster comes back and you add McGowan's. I mean, this team has the potential to be a really good team, like a very quality team in a very quality conference. So... I'm glad that you brought that up. I just kind of wanted to throw that in there as well. Um, And, I mean, if players decide to say, like, unlike last year, I mean, that would – I mean, that'll that'll make Fred Hoiberg's job that much easier too. He doesn't have to bring up an entire new group of guys every single year. Right. So I think that'll do it for us on episode number 22 of Husker Sports Weekly. We talked about the Nebraska Huskers game against Purdue this upcoming Saturday – and just kind of what we've seen from Nebraska ball in this first week of the college basketball season. So we'll be coming out with a new episode of Rapid Reactions the Sunday after 
the Purdue game, which will be on December 6th. Um, and we will keep you posted on Nebraska ball as well in that episode. So thank you all for tuning into this episode of Husker Sports Weekly. Again, don't forget to find us on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar and follow us on Twitter at Husker Weekly for more Husker Sports updates and Big Ten news. So once again, thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you on Sunday for Rapid Reactions episode number five. Go Big Red.